Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode. This is episode six for the season, 38 for the show. And my guest today is Chief Warrant Officer Matthew Scruggs of the United States Marine Corps. And his movie selection is 2002's science fiction action film, Equilibrium, starring Christian Bale, Tay Diggs, and Emily Watson. Uh, some housekeeping to get out of the way. Let's start with our upcoming live show. Join us on Facebook Live and YouTube on February 28th when we talk to one half of DFAT ownership and just all-around great guy, Casey Bowker. Uh, he hasn't selected his movie yet, but when he does, you'll be the first to know. We are also planning to have some of the giveaways, so you'll want to be around for that. Uh, stay in the know by following us on social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, check us out on YouTube and Letterboxd. But right now, enjoy Matt and I as we delve into the futuristic, emotional-suppressing equilibrium. So without further ado, on with the show. Uh, that was that was <clears throat> the perfect analogy. That was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, Matt, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I always like hanging out and talking with you. You and Alec, I think, are are the two people in my life that I had the most natural good time with. I'm always okay. laughing to the point of tears when I'm with you guys. So I really appreciate this. Looking forward to this show. No no pressure, by the way. I've, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to do better than last time. Last time I tried to like have a, a planned approach, but this time we've postponed it so many times that i'm uh it's just we're just balls to the wall we're just gonna we're just gonna jump into the d-vent and see what happens yep yep hopefully i can i can feed you enough material to where the show is, is worth it for someone <laughs> to listen to out there so <laughs> season three is a big season for me uh, i challenged all the guests to uh, pick a movie that they were going to hope was going to land in the top 10 at the end of the season um, I don't know if you had a chance to watch our top ten on YouTube, but uh, what did, what movie did we do last time with you? Um, Wind River. Wind River. Oh, you did make the top ten. Did you yeah. see that? Did you see the uh, the top ten? I did not. Uh, so nope. you, you made the top ten with Wind River. Um, so congratulations for that. I nice. believe you're hanging on like at the ten spot. If I'm not mis- if I'm not not uh, if I'm not wrong, I'll have to go back and check. But no, you, um, you guys have got yeah, you've had a lot of good movies. So I don't think Wind River is going to make going to hold the line. <laughs> but so season three it was the challenge. You got to pick a movie in hopes to get to the top ten, and you went with 2002's science fiction action film Equilibrium, starring mm-hmm. Christian Bale, um, who is fresh off of Reign of Fire at this point. And right before The Machinist, probably one of his biggest uh, um, outside of Batman, Tay Diggs um, from Brown Sugar and Basic, and then Emily Watson, not the one that you're thinking of, the one from Red Dragon and the one from uh, The Water Horse. What is it about this movie that made you pick it? Like, Why, why is this the one you, you went with on this, uh, this challenge? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, I... I mean, you said Rain of Fire, and I was like, damn, I should have done that one. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, Christian Bill's a great actor, and uh, I, it was just one of those movies where I, if that thing's on, I don't know if I'm just a, a geek at heart, uh, but I've always really appreciated it. It's really poor attempt to leap action into, <laughs> into you know, this uh, dystopian society of existence or whatever, so um it's like they were like ah we're gonna just do some sweet shooting scenes and maybe they'll <laughs> they'll pan out uh because i mean i've got a i got a huge crush on matrix on the matrix um yeah this is very matrixy yeah i mean at least some of the uh, i guess cinematography of it all very early matrix fill uh yeah you know, the big it, black leather jackets and shit yeah and just the way they enter the room and they're like this dynamic you know file you know violent personality uh and you you think it's a very daunting task about you know what they're trying to pull off and somehow he shoots 23 people and does <laughs> and yet gets no rounds come near him uh or he is untouched so oh there's yeah, there's some there's some great great stuff we're going to get into with this movie <laughs> and and you know ammunition and and all that um so so do you did you see this movie when it first came out i mean when did when did you first see it do you remember uh yeah i i saw it pretty pretty soon after um 
you know, I mean, I think I was in the Marine Corps. So obviously it came out in 2002. I graduated high school in 03 and then hit the Marine Corps uh, tail end of 04. But like I saw this in 05 and I was in my mind, I was like, this is a cult classic immediately. Immediately. Uh, yeah, I was like, this movie is going to blow up over time. It's just going to get better and better. <laughs> Not quite Boondock Saints blow up, but I felt like people were gonna like, this This is going to have a sequel just because fans want it. Would you say, uh, would you say you nailed that, that prediction? No, no, not at all. Um, I mean, and, and the uncanny thing about it was like the whole ritual of Sean Beam dying, which I know you're going to get into. So I don't want to like progress the, the podcast too early, but like little things like that are, you know, tiny anecdotes to like some of these actors careers. So I just thought it was, yeah, I've, I've seen it at least seven to 10 times. Just you know, beginning this, to end. This is it. This is the movie. This movie just does it for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a little bit of everything that I want. And obviously some of the societal undertones and control and, you know, whether we're doing the right thing for the human population as a whole. So just. Oh, I, I can't I, wait. We're going to get so <laughs> philosophical on this. It's going to be great. Let's, uh, let's talk the stats of the movie. The movie comes out on December 6, 2002. It's got a runtime of 107 minutes. That's an hour and 47 minutes. That's a, it's like a perfect time. Hour mm-hmm. 47 is perfect. You hit the two hour mark eh, a little too long. You hit an hour and a half. I don't know. Not enough material there. Hour, hour 47. I like it. Uh, unfortunately, the budget for the film, $20 million box office 5 million exactly does, um, a fourth of its budget which has got to be disappointing um produced by dimension films and blue tulip productions distributed by miramax films directed by kurt wimmer who's also the writer on this he mm-hmm. does he directed ultraviolet and children of the corn the remake and he also wrote law-abiding citizen and the remake of point break Mm-hmm. So he's not a stranger to Hollywood, not a not a big time you know heavy hitter, but he's not a stranger either. Tagline for the film: In the future, feud- freedom is a thing of the past. Oh man, you've nailed the voice! Holy smokes! I, I like this because this is like <clears throat> nostalgia '90s corny tagline. In the future, freedom is a thing of the past. Because you gotta get the future past thing in there, you know. Anytime mm-hmm. you can contradict yourself in your tagline. It's always like 90s. Perfect. Uh, rated R for violence. It doesn't win any major awards. That's the you know, like Academy Awards, Oscars, Golden Globes, Grammys, none of that stuff. Um, yeah, it's just kind of there. Yeah, I no, I don't see it quite the same way, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but, I mean, it's not quite a water world bust, you know, and I'd be interested in seeing the stats on the movie uh, financially now. I don't really know that yeah. it was, I mean, I, I'm willing to bet thousands of copies sold out of the 599 bin at Walmart. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. This is a, and you know, I'll, I'll go one further. This is a good find for 599. If you can get a Blu-ray copy for 599, you pick that up. That's a good find. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So the original title uh, when it was announced in 1999, was a 10 what's the, the name of the location 10 tentagramma nation 10 10 gramma nation oh yeah tentanemagron or whatever ten, yeah exactly tentanemagron that was originally gonna be the name of the film um but they they switched it to equilibrium smart move because nobody's yep. pronouncing that yeah well i oh yeah well, i probably still still i don't want to still in a year thunder but uh yeah, no, they had a couple of weird name name things mm-hmm. apparently, like uh, the drug that they're required to take. They yes. Actually, so, I, I obviously reading up on it, trying to to make sense of why I picked this movie, and I still have no idea. But yeah, well, no, go ahead. What what are you what were you going to say about the drug? Oh, I was just going to say they they had to rename the drug. I think they had they had several names they were considering for this movie, um, as well. So, uh, yeah, so I the, can't even. The drug in the film is is prosium. Um, it was originally going to be Librium, uh, hence you know, the people of, of Libraria or Lib- Libria, um, as they're often referred to throughout the film. However, Librium turns out is an actual anti-anxiety drug. Yes, 
yes. so they couldn't they couldn't use it. So they went with uh, Prozium, which is a combination of Prozac and Valium. Coincidentally enough, also two very calming uh, uh, drugs. What I thought was most interesting in the research that I did on this film um, is it's a, it's a common misconception that the drug is meant to make you not feel anything. The, the director and writer, because um, he's the same guy, said, actually, the drug is not designed to make you not feel anything. The drug is designed to remove the highs and the lows. So what's left behind is, quote, essentially the same person, but without, you know, this these swings in emotion. Mm-hmm. So that, that was kind of interesting. And knowing that while I watched the film, I think, helped out a little bit because there are some... There are you, you can't you can't watch this and and see them as no emotion people because there's just it's not, I don't think it's a possibility. I don't think you can have no emotion. No, because I mean even at the early parts before they really pushed kind of pushed that narrative, uh, you could see determination, uh, you know, focus or right. by Christian Bale's character. So those are forms of emotion in my mind. So, you know, the first couple of times I watched it, I'm obviously thinking like this guy was already kind of ego driven and maniacal in his sense of like, I'm the best, you know, cleric or whatever. Right. So like I, I was like, they didn't remove emotion by any means. They, you know, I guess uh, like, like you were saying, trying to kind of rid, rid one of uh, acting on one's emotions. So, you know, uh, I guess unbridled. So. Oh, good word. I like problem. that. Yeah, yeah. That was nice. Sorry, my so, wife is needing something from me. What? Uh, a football game at noon. Connor. Oh. Sorry. And I'm back. And and we're back. Um, <laughs> no, no problem. So let me ask you this question. So we watch, you watch the film, and when the film opens, we have um, Christian Bale he plays a cleric, like you said. They're essentially these they're, they're these feeling police. They go around and they they try to we live in a dystopian future where nobody everybody takes this drug that allows them to not feel. They have no emotion. But like as I just said, it's more the the cutoff of the other extremes, highs and lows. And these clerics go around and essentially make sure that everybody's taking their drugs and those that aren't, those who are caught feeling get arrested and could be killed even um, if, if they're extreme offenders and you have this underground um, rebel type scenario where these group of feelers are out there trying to overthrow this, this awful uh, dictator government that the clerics work for Christian Bale's partner um, who is played by the guy Sean from Beam. The, yeah, the guy from Lord of the Rings. Now, uh, what was it you wanted to, to say about him that you had mentioned earlier? Uh, I was just saying that, uh, you know, we, I think in our little pop culture uh, climate now, right, middle, mid-2010 to 2015 timeframe, Sean Beam was getting uh, constantly hit on for dying <laughs> in so yeah. many movies, right? And so I, I just thought it was funny, like, this is one that kind of goes, uh, you know, slips under the radar where he, again, he's an early, early <laughs> character for major plot development. And then, you know, hey, he's got to go. And uh, so I, I just really <laughs> started chopping at that tree with this movie, I feel like. And people didn't even realize it. Yeah. Uh, so he and Christian Bale are, are partners. They're, they're both clerics. And um, Sean Beam is feeling he's he stopped taking his medicine. And Christian Sense Bale. Offender. Right, he's a sense offender. That's what they call him, which yeah. is really kind of that's not a great pick for what you would call people like this. But um, <laughs> but anyway, so um, so Christian Bale kind of calls him out on it. He's got this sixth sense to be able to pick out people who are feeling, and calls him out on it and ends up killing him, um, and. For whatever reason, he misses a one of his dosage and starts feeling himself as well. Um, not like feeling himself, but like starts feeling also. <laughs> no, he. Well, so I think it had something to do. I wish I would have pulled this one out, pulled the thread on it a little bit more. I don't know what Sean Beam was reading 
Right. But he was he was reading some poetry, maybe Walt Whitman. I don't know, like something there. Uh, but it was impactful because uh, it, it, you know, it, again, right. It didn't take away the fact that these guys, you know, people were thinking and understanding like we're not supposed to feel emotion or we're not supposed right. to act. But whatever it was that combined with, I guess, an actual drop. Right. He dropped his dosage. It broke. And, That's what uh, it was. He, yeah, he dropped and it broke, so he couldn't take it. And then by the time he, the words resonated in his head when he was in the car, right? And he's like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I'll go get you know my one from Prozium or wherever." Uh, but it was Sean Beam's words. I mean, they only they didn't focus well enough on it, but they echoed in his head, and it was something about you know the fact that thing things happen mm-hmm. almost. There's a a sense of fate or purpose behind them. So I. I thought that's what he was ultimately thinking now is like, Oh, well maybe, maybe I missed that dose purposely. Like I was supposed to. Um, but again, I can't remember the, the quote or the the poem that he was reading. So, so let's talk about that because this is obviously the conversation that, that the director, the writer, the film wants us to have. Right. So you had this dystopian future where, where we've removed emotion from, from humans. Is it better? Is it a better future? Oh, uh, I mean, for me, no, no, absolutely not. Right. It takes, it takes the uh, human out of humanity. Right. Um, I mean, I don't really, like you said, you could get ultra philosophical based off of this movie and like what it points points to. But uh, again, when you pull the decisions and freedoms away from people, uh, no matter what, uh, whether it's a government apparatus or in this case, you know, obviously it was, but, you know, via medically induced, you know, non-sensing humans, then really, I think, uh, and, and we'll get into it obviously, but, uh, the, uh, the female lead, she pointed out, right. That it took, it took the point of living away. So, um, but why, why is that? Why, why is it that every time we turn on some AI robot, or you know we 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 fast forward into the future we have something out to destroy mankind because we're so awful and we're this virus why why is why are humans so destructive uh ooh. so i think that you think it's emotion uh yes right it's 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 how we process the most uh dynamic uh you know events in our life um we you know whether we are you know we're connected to our children and our spouses and family and you know i mean think about all the colloquialisms and like immediate statements that people make like oh i mean you know i would kill someone if they put their hands on my daughter or i would you know right it's it it comes off all, you know, so nonchalantly because people truly feel that way. Um, so, you know, depending on what's most important to you, uh, you know, and then that tied with an emotion and then in a, an event that you weren't necessarily prepared for, um, you know, that's why people act with such raw, uh, raw emotion. Um, you know, and some people obviously forecast events in their life and they're able to process and, and I, I guess I say exercise a, a level of emotional, emotional uh, maturity, but most people don't get that. You know, we're not that fortunate, right? Things happen uh, that we don't plan for, um, and and that causes a you know emotion to take over. We we fall back to one of our more uh, whatever you would call it, right? E- easier traits as a human. We we let emotion take over, and, and that kind of rules our our compass. So, so I, again, so, why doesn't this work then? I mean, if we can get rid of emotion, you know what it is? It's because it was a daily pill. You got to do it like once a year. I, yeah, no, I, I mean, real world, like if we had this again, right? Like, and it's just kind of funny that it's ongoing, which our, our country is in societal t- turmoil right now. But think about it. It's like the vaccination, right? Like you got people on either side, like. <laughs> 
that have flip sides yeah depending on the politics of it have flip sides depending on you know what the repercussions are of it you know like oh at first it was like why wouldn't you do this you're endangering other people you're endangering your family and now those same people are like but i need to know that i have a personal freedom and you know i've had it twice and i've rebounded so like i i never felt met you know medically threatened you know so like is it for the betterment of the people around you or for the betterment of you? Like, right. So I, again, I think it all comes back to we are as humankind. We, we really pronounce that with the fact that we are human, like not, we don't say we're humans kind, right? Like, cause then we're like lumping us all together. We are human one. We like really like to focus and, and be selfish and not selfless. And, you know, I mean, again, I think that's something that, you know, I really take from a movie like this and I take from a lot of, of the sci-fi, you know, like, I mean, the matrix is a good, another great parallel, right? Like yeah. the machines thought they had it, thought they had really worked out the best theory to prolong human life while ensuring their existence. But really they were just using us as an energy source, but like at the same thing, like whoever, you know, we'll get to it, but father or, or the character there, right? Like he thought like, Oh yeah, I'd, he's rid the world of violence, but he really, really hadn't because he was executing his own violent regime in the background. Right. right? So like at, at the end of the day, um, yeah, it, you know, there's probably someone, you know, corrupt decision makers somewhere in the, in the root of it all. But yeah, humans are, uh, we're selfish creatures. So I'm sure at like the root of it, it was like, Oh yeah, this is the best way for humans to prolong life and ensure, you know, kind of a sanctimonious, existence of uh but it doesn't it doesn't work out right we are who we are so yeah i don't know like but yeah vaccinations that's kind of the way i read it matt you're so (laughs) profound um so i I do want to talk a little bit about the 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 guns in this film And, and because the guns are such a huge part of the film um there's a whole new gun martial arts that was developed for the film it's called gun kata or gun fu it was invented for the film and also used in the the movie ultraviolet by the director did did you hear about this yes yeah i i fully read up on it i was convinced john wick had actually adopted this this uh somewhat um just if you look at some of the 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 moves from the wick movies uh, not quite as, uh, I don't know, oriental in the sense of like, you know, pre moves and, and staging for other moves, but, uh, very similar like mechanics to it. So, yeah. So the idea behind Gung Fu is that you can, as, as the Gung Fu master, you can kind of anticipate <laughs> what the most likely scenario is going to be like how the shots are going to get fired so that you can position yourself to be least likely to be hit and also be able to take out your targets the most proficient way. Listen, badass, it works in the film. It kind of, they, they explain it quickly and it's only used to kind of show why um, these police officers are so elite because they're masters of this stuff. And, and it's, it works. I think it, it works pretty well. Oh yeah. When the first, maybe second or third time uh i actually like honed in on the the mechanics of more of what christian bell was doing and the clerics and how they were trained and he was the most formidable you know cleric uh supposedly right i guess he had racked up the stats and uh but if you know like at one point in time when the guns engaged those uh, out of the bottom of the clips i don't even know what yeah looks like thumbtacks or nails, like the heads of nails pop out of the bottom of these things. And he uses it as like clubbed instruments, uh, of death. And he's just so whip, awesome. pistol whipping everybody. And I was just like, man, this is so awesome and cheesy at the same time. But oh, it was uh, the greatest thing ever. I, I, that, <laughs> so I want to get into that because it, this to me is, is kind of what sets this movie above a little bit is, uh, we have the, the gun gun foo, but not just that. So the muzzle flashes from the weapons in a lot of instances were the were made to resemble the insignia of the terror 
teratagramination. <laughs> the Tetrachromonomicon. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The main, yeah. the main, like the emperor, the empire, if you will, from Star Wars, the main group of bad people, their, their little insignia, the, the muzzle flashes were, were made to look like that. How cool is that? Not just, yeah. okay. So the, the violence in the scenes, specifically the blood gradually gets greater as the movie goes on. Mm-hmm. In the earlier scenes, you don't have any blood, and towards the end, you have lots of blood. And that's supposed to show how it's be- he's becoming more emotional, and he's starting to see more of the destruction that he's causing. Yeah. There's there's no wires used for any of the stunts in the movie. It was all practical. They used trampolines and stuff like that. I mean, this this movie is so well done. I, I want to get into the architecture they, it, they purposely chose shooting locations in Berlin, and we Germany. chose these. Yeah. Quote: We wanted to make it. We wanted to make the individual feel small and insignificant, and the government seem much more powerful. And this was the only location we could find with this type of architecture. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, a lot of thought went into the movie. Uh, again, that's why I'm. I I was pretty convinced. Like after probably the third or fourth time watching it on sci-fi channel sadly and and i was like man this movie has it has to have a cult following just because like you said the tetragrammaton or whatever right so that that t mm-hmm. if you like several of the movie posters they have the t made out of the silhouette of two you know uh k Diggs and christian bell standing next to each other uh they really pushed you know that monolithical uh, architecture right like this very tall like overwhelming uh you know walking into like a major you know facility or location right and you're you're supposed to feel that insignificance so i thought uh i thought they did pretty well considering like i was surprised about the 20 million dollar budget after yeah, seeing the, the cars i mean <laughs> yeah i don't know if you it, noticed that but they no, were like <laughs> they were 1995 like ford Tauruses or something that they had painted all black or all white like but it was a really cool black and it's obviously <laughs> an expensive black no you're right and but the the movie those little details i think really stand out and they they do kind of give you this um subconscious type feelings and like you said so tay diggs um he comes into the film because not only does Christian Bale kill his partner and start, you know, obviously misses his dosage and starts feeling, he gets a new partner. That's Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs is another cleric, and he's also kind of a badass cleric and knows his shit. Um, Christian Bale has two kids. He also had a wife. And you find out, you get this kind of backstory where um, <clears throat> he found out his wife was feeling and turned her in, and she was killed, and he was there for the execution. Um, and he it now is raising his kids, just him, um, he, which is fine, though, because his kids are also on the pills and little non-feeling a-holes. Well, his son was whatever there. I, I don't remember the name of what the kids were, but uh, young males were tra- trained to be uh, like know. future clerics. Well, and judges, right? Like they would stand mm-hmm. on the outsides of the uh, the main facilities, and they would be like, they would point out people that they were, were they were sensing that these people were filling. So they had that sixth sense. They were training them in that ability to sense people who were, you know, not on their dosage or not taking their their prosium. Yeah. So, you know, I yeah, I thought I thought the kid dynamic was great because, you know. Uh, especially the way the things kind of unfolded in the movie towards the end. I was like, holy smokes. I mean, again, just kind of wrote those characters off because they were small, but they were showing some of the impacts of like stilling childhood, stilling, you know, yeah. stilling like that. Need more context on your favorite movie? Is Obama. Obama. As okay. Senator Obama. Ever wonder why they did or didn't do that thing or include that scene? This is prime. Like, this is is quality entertainment. Check out Gutsy Media Podcast as my friends and I take a deep dive into everything from blockbusters to indie films. The weakest apple cider bitch beers. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. That's Gutsy Media Podcast for everything movies. 
from the far reaches of the galaxy to an internet location near you. We're Don'tForgetAtowl.com, your daily source for geeky pop culture news, reviews, interviews, and so much more. So as you're hitchhiking your way through the universe, don't forget to travel safe, and don't forget a towel. The whole point of being a child, right, is to experience emotion and have to deal with, you know, like a cookie being taken and like that being your world. Uh, so these kids don't even have to deal with that, apparently. Yeah, um, it's 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 pretty surreal. The the kid that they have in the in the movie uh, does a great job. He he seems very authoritative. He's very adult. Um, I mean, they have these very like discerning conversations. Um, and and kudos to him for being able to to pull that off. Mm-hmm. So the middle of the movie, <clears throat> I don't want to insinuate that the middle of the movie is slow. Or or drags on because it doesn't. But you have multiple kind of storylines going on at once. So you have Christian Bale, who's obviously going through this whole transition where he's not taking his medication, so he's starting to feel, and a lot of these things are like are new to him. I mean, he's he actually cries. He's listening to classical music, um, but all of this he's trying to hide from not only Tate Diggs, but the, his whole family, his kids, the organization he works for. Um, in combination with that, Tay Diggs and Christian Bale are out to get this this rebel group. And as part of that rebel group <clears throat> is this female, played by Emily Watson. Um, she is she, she knew the um, Sean Bean's character. And she's a feeler. She's a she's a sense <laughs> violator. Um, a sense offender. Sense offender. Sense, I like sense violator even more though. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, you know, honestly, this this storyline, <clears throat> I could take it or leave it. What, what, like, what are your thoughts on on the the female storyline here, love interest storyline here? Uh, I. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't like the picture. She had a picture with Sean Bean. So was she like, you know, were they pre pre Sean Bean's cleric status or did was she, you know, part of the underground and Sean Bean just happened to like, I don't know, like the photo didn't really make sense to me. Maybe I missed something, you know, the seven times I've seen this movie. Um, Doubtful, but. Uh, I did like, I didn't mind her. Uh, I didn't mind the interrogation scenes. Um, I thought they added purpose and, and I thought really what it was doing, it was doing a good job of pulling back, pulling him back into those, you know, those last moments of his, his marriage and the fact that he was with, you know, uh, his wife who was not taking her prosium and yet, you know, was he blinded by, you know, in uh emotion light leveled or light layered emotion but like oh well i'm you know a badass cleric there's no way my wife could be getting away with this you know in the background so um again i thought it did good to kind of balance that out but yeah i mean it was uh you know too often i feel like they tried i feel like some writers or some studios kind of had this list of things that movies need to have and it's like, okay, you've got to have some sort of love storyline. There's got to be some sort of male-female chemistry. And they have to pigeon-toe it into the story. And I, I feel like that that's this. Uh, we, we get some information out of it. Like you said, you, you get to you know have some interrogation scenes where we peel back the onion a little bit on, on this world and on Christian Bale. And, but I feel like you could get that in doing it a different way. I had no real interest in Emily's character. I don't think she's that great of an actress. Um, and when she dies, again, I don't really care that much. It, it, it tugs on the whole Christian Bale storyline because he tries to prevent her from dying. Like he couldn't try to prevent his wife from dying or he didn't try to prevent his wife from dying. Mm-hmm. So there's some redemption there. You see that is it a little different. Um, but ultimately there's no, there's no real stakes in her, in her death. And I don't really care about her. Yeah. Huge. It was a huge scene though. Uh, cause it was after he had missed his first dosage, maybe 12 hours in 15 hours in. Right. And he's with Tay Diggs and he can sense like Tay Diggs is, you know, not uh, a trustworthy, you know, not a true, uh, true friend, 
uh, I yeah. think, right? So I think they were trying, like, I, again, I thought they did really good, a really good job at those subtle hints as Christian Bale's character was coming out of that emotional coma, if you will. And, and he, they're not supposed to have mirrors in their house, right? Because for whatever reason, like, uh, you know, cause it promotes, I guess, you know, uh, e- ego and lust and what have you. So when he spins her around in some weird way and was like, look in the mirror and he's looking at her through, you know, into the mirror, like you can tell he has that first uh, moment of appreciation for the opposite sex. I just want to say, I don't think it's that they're not supposed to have mirrors. I think it's that that mirror had a like a decorative frame around it. Oh, good call. Because he's got the mirror in his bathroom. And it's just very bland. It's just like very bland. Medicine. Right. medicine. I, thought it, I thought maybe his cleric status had earned him that mirror. <laughs> mm. <laughs> seven times. Seven <laughs> times watching the movie, I've convinced myself. he On, the, know, on his promotion day, he gets a uh, yeah. rank and, and a mirror. Gold watch at 20 years of service, he got... A silver trimmed mirror. So nice. Um, yeah. So, so Tay, yeah, Tay Diggs is also looking at Christian Bale sideways and, um, Christian Bale is going to help the rebellion and they're going to kill father. Father is the leader of this, you know, uh, government and the ultimate, you know, head of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, which, not a huge fan of of that either because of how it ends which i guess we can just we can just get to uh but before we do i want to there's a couple things i want to touch on uh that i thought was pretty cool so the other thing is the director wimmer he said he intentionally avoided using futuristic technology that could become obsolete and that he also decided to set his story in an indeterminate future he said, quote, I wanted to create more of an alternate reality than get caught up in the gadgetry of science fiction, he explained. In fact, there's no technology in equilibrium that doesn't already exist. It's more like a parallel universe. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I can see that too. I, I like yeah. that. Uh, the film yeah. takes place in the year 2072. And uh, you had talked about John Preston, who is that's Christian Bale's character. John Preston holds third place record for most deaths caused by one character in a movie at 118 deaths. Third place. Isn't that awesome? Is that an, I feel like that's an estimation as well. Uh, he he did yeah no 118 it's roughly half the total of 236 deaths in the movie um second place is smith from 2007's shoot 'em up at 1441 deaths and first place is ogami itua from 1984's lone wolf and cub white heaven in hell at a hundred or excuse me, 1,500 uh, deaths. No, no clue what that movie is. It's a Japanese film. Wow. And the, the only little other fact I have is that Daniel Radcliffe <laughs> uh, actually auditioned to be the son in this film. This would have been right around Harry Potter time. Oh, man. That would have ruined everything. There's no that way it's coming. Yeah. Because you can't, I mean, with the lightning bolt, how are you going to yeah, know he's no. Harry Potter? Yeah, we would have never let that one go. So let's talk about the end of the film. So Christian Bale goes in, guns a-blazing, and kicks everyone's ass. So number yeah, number one, two things that I saw, and again, maybe that's why I'm like intrinsically uh, always just going to love this movie, is he, in multiple scenes, would kind of took off running in a very American psycho-esque manner, right? Like yeah. sweating profusely. He's running. I'm like, no one's, no one's ran in this entire movie. Even cops when they were, you know, like the <laughs> Joe Schmo cops that are geared out, uh, you know, with a full catcher's uniform, like no one's ran in this movie. And here you are, Christian Bell's like bumping into people. Like clearly I feel like everyone would be turning towards him like zombies and pointing at him like sense offender, yeah. you know, but so I, I was actually kind of, I mean, I just constantly annoyed by that. Uh, and then like the time where he was running to 
prevent her from being torched. Um, same thing, right? He's running down the hallway, blazing fast. Um, you know, all the like, I think he runs by one person, comes up to a guard, does this like very like, let me get my, you know, wits about myself. But I was like, no, like, it's too late, man. You <laughs> clearly are like very human right now. And <laughs> but like, it's just like nobody calls him out, I guess, because of his elite, you know, reputation. And, uh, but I just thought, yeah, I thought those were kind of nonsensical. Uh, but again, I think purposeful. They were, you know, he was trying to, Wimmer's trying to establish that he's, he's, uh, he's off cycle, right? Like he yeah. is. Yeah, he's, he's uh, not. He, yeah, he's struggling. He's struggling to to cover it up himself because it's so there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of relate to that guy, just constantly running in life, <laughs> and this emotional <laughs> frenzy of like. So he finds you know, out. He finds out that his kids haven't been taking it either, and they like, haven't been taking it since since the mom died. Yeah, they were like, "Oh, how long is it since mom died?" And I'm like. Again, I was like, Dad, man, that kid had me fooled. I mean, he's only been like five minutes of continuous scenage. But still, though, he did yeah. such a great job. Yeah. So I, I thought, again, that was a great part. I think that helped establish for Christian Bell that he was doing the right thing, right? Because his children feel this innate sense to like not do this, uh, and you know, and uh, I think like him, I don't know. I felt like he felt like yes. That, that validation or vindication that this is the right way to go about things. So after that, I, you know, uh, thought there was a good switch. Uh, how do you, then, how do you feel about the ending? Uh, my favorite part of the movie, like, I mean, it's up there with just bit, pretty much any favorite part of any movie uh, is when he's on the polygraph and that thing just goes flatlined, right? Like he's just all over the place. They've riled him up and he's just, you know, basically you're like dang they're like i really didn't know how things were going to go and then he just finds a way to like go still make christian bell flatline the poly and they all you know basically everybody in the room's like oh shit yeah, <laughs> like, this yeah dude, we, we fucked this, up we fucked up yeah i, I mean and after that yeah yeah my and the fact that it was in all white i mean i thought he was going to walk out like it's going to be more dexter morganish like the fact that he was wearing a full white robe and ensemble i was like oh dude he's about to be blood ridden like just straight american psycho like yeah so i i mean i don't know if i just again uh but either way yeah i i liked it all um i mean i liked kind of the the double crossing or triple crossing of the character uh whatever dupont whoever the, the guy who was fictitiously created the, the father character and was actually the, the, the individual running the society. And uh, I like that he had Tay Diggs in the, his back pocket and that they suspected, you know, it was a, it was one of their higher level clerics uh, throughout the movie that had kind of, you know, turned on them. Um, I thought that was all good, but yeah, I, I thought, I mean, honestly, I thought it was kind of anticlimactic, like other than he what he cut Tay Diggs front half off. Like, he does. He cut. Yeah, he he cuts Kate, uh, Tay Diggs. That's because Tay Diggs was not available for any of the reshoots. So when they had to redo the fight scene, he wasn't available. They they basically just did a, a quick little. Uh, and there's not much of a fight scene, which actually I liked because Tay Diggs annoyed me in this film. Yes. So yeah. the fact that he was kind of disrespected by Christian Bale's character, I liked. Yeah. Um, so listen, we have a very important task here, Matt. We have to determine if this is a good movie. Luckily for you, uh, we have the ability to do that with our classic question game. Ooh. What? It's it's playing right here. I'm gonna have to shorten this. Okay. Um, so as you know, we have the three questions that we have um, come up with to determine if the movie is good. Uh, season three, we have three new questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. Question number one, does the progress and rhythm of the movie fit? Uh, yes. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I would I would say that there's un, some unfortunate like hard pivots uh, that maybe make it uh, it's not very fluid in its progression. Uh, but I would say for the most part, very like it stays on point and it stays uh, it stays true to uh, the purpose of the movie and while ultimately having the the you know I think the ending everyone's pulling for. Yeah, I don't think it, it doesn't rush too much. Um, there is maybe some lulls in the middle, but not abnormal for most films to have that. And I don't think it's out of the ordinary, um, in like, it's not, doesn't, the movie doesn't come to a dramatic halt, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Question number two, what, if any part of the film speaks to you and why? Um, I mean, it's probably, it's, it's probably changed over time, but like, I, again, I think initially, like I, I appreciated that, uh, you know, that a dude that was so, you know, highly regarded and held kind of the, the standard for the clerics, you know, in, in this, uh, this government and highly governed society, right? Like even he is culpable or, you know, can potentially, uh, you know, I, I guess see the error of his ways and the organization he's with and, and still make a lasting change or impact to, uh, to right the wrong, right the ship, so to speak. So I really appreciated that. And then more personal, you know, again, I realized like that, I thought it was pretty significant, uh, whether it's meant to be or not, that the kids, you know, were, you know, proactive enough to make those, that decision, like after they realized, you know, that this wasn't right. Uh, they stopped taking theirs, uh, but maintained the front, knowing that there was, you know, a way to to eventually work work out of this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I, I wouldn't say that any part of the film speaks to me, um, but I, I would say that, um, you know, one of my favorite films is is V for Vendetta, and there's some mm-hmm. parallels, you know, in this, you know, dystopian future where the government takes over everything, and I think it just goes to show that you you have to be careful how much of your freedoms you're willing to give up uh because there is a tipping point and you don't always know it when you're there um so uh the question number three what is the most important sequence in the movie well i don't know um Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think the plot development is more important than like all the, all the ensuing violence. Um, I think. Uh, I think if you're really getting most important that he successfully navigates to the underground. So it's kind of like a uh, probably a scene that doesn't really get uh, the the attention it's due. But he, you know, he stays on stays on track with it and, and attempts to track down the underground council and and you know develop a plan right like so again it's not really it's kind of probably in the part where it's like a lull uh but it allows it allows like the movie to take you know take the turn that it has to 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 start to to reach its you know climactic point i guess so for me um but yeah again all the violence all the gun the gun fooing was pretty pretty important to me at the, <laughs> at the onset of this movie i don't know it, it was definitely matrix s for me so like i was just that guy uh well, I, mean, I think if you're gonna go most important sequence you gotta go with the, his dosage breaking like that yeah. that that's gotta be the most important right i mean without that he doesn't feel and then none of this happens yeah but i mean now you're getting into like uh, again i i think as far as like the movie itself i mean it would have been think about it they could have said hey we need to turn the most uh lethal of their clerics and he could have been captured and strung to a chair oh, and yeah, slowly true. so i'm just saying like the way they picked to do that like again it seemed like kind of that that's why i thought the, the poem was uh pretty important because that made it helped balance the fact that he wouldn't just stick another tube in there and inject it like yeah he saw it break. He was like, Oh, that's weird. That happened. And then Q Q what just, you know, what just played out with Sean beam, his impart, his partner who 
while they're not feeling emotion, clearly there's some connection to you, right? So yeah. maybe that's it. You know, killing Sean Beam is probably <laughs> having to kill his partner is probably. I like how his, he basically killed his wife. Nothing killed his partner. <laughs> that's really just oh, it bothered him. That turned him right like that. That was the turning point for him. So never mind. I recant my previous statement. Edit that one out. <laughs> I will say shooting Sean Beam. As always. Um, okay, so we've we've talked plot. We've talked behind the scenes information and our top three questions on a scale of one to ten. One being horrible and ten being a masterpiece. What do you rate this film? Oh, it's a ten, Bobby. Did you see? <laughs> of course. Come on. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I would watch it right now if it was on Sunday afternoon. It's like perfect in Hawaii to watch Equilibrium. Um, so <laughs> when is it not right? So, I mean, for season three, I guess what's more important is what do I rate it? One through 10. I'm going to give this a seven. This is a seven. There's nothing. Yeah. Listen, I like it. It's a good movie. I liked it before uh, I watched it for the podcast. And this is one of those few films where you know, the research I did didn't really change it one way or the other it's a decent film there are things that could be improved upon but at the end of the day i don't feel like i wasted my time uh solid seven holds my attention the whole time i do want to talk about a few amazing things that happened after the film in 2017 american mythology productions published a three issue comic series set in the world of equilibrium and is a sequel to the movie centered around john preston Nice. Also, in 2018, a fan made a short film called Equilibrium Balanced. It became so popular that uh, it's actually been you know, sold in some um, online locations. Set 15 years after the first follows the reestablishment of the Tetragramination as they hunt down John Preston with help from his son and next generation cleric. Nice. So, yeah, I always like when they do the fan-made stuff, but I would love to see a sequel to this. Um, you think we'll ever get it? Uh, no, I, I think Christian Bell would have uh, early enough. I mean, maybe it doesn't have to involve him, but I don't think you get, again, for the cult following, right? Like, it'd be the same as if, uh, you know, they made another American Psycho. Everybody knows Christian Bell made that movie, right? Like, his character. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If... They made another American Psycho. You don't. You don't know about the sequel. <laughs> no, no. Oh yeah, I, actually, I do. Never there mind. is a sequel. <laughs> sequel. American yeah. Psycho Two, <laughs> starring Mila Kunis. Yeah, it's Mila Kunis. It's not Chris. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not a sequel right. in my mind. Uh, that's what I'm saying. This wouldn't be a sequel unless, unless you know, John Preston, Christian Bell comes back, uh, even if it's just for you know a short period, and then he gets. Uh, you know, eloquently finished off, you know, in some yeah. weird way of like, okay, well, my time's come. If we're going to reinstitute this society, then I'd rather die. Right. Uh, but I will say two things that I thought you would bring up. I don't know if you saw the flag for the great Tetragram Gamatronian <laughs> nation. <laughs> uh, I, 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 it doesn't. I, it doesn't ring a bell. No, what what is it? Uh, can I send it to you? I don't really want to describe it over position. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It's either way. It's red and black and white, and uh, <laughs> it looks very Iron Crossish. Um, oh, it does. I mean, it's, it's it's most definitely trying to be a Nazi flag. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very. Yeah. I mean, when you see it, you're like, what? Uh, but it's actually made out of four T's for the four four person council. Ah, uh, yeah. But I like I saw the flag and I was like, "What in the world?" Um, so either way, again, right? Kind of took a lot, uh, a lot of uh, or, I, I guess origins of and architecture and all that from yeah, Germany for so. sure. But. Um, so let's let's play everybody's favorite game. Guess that tomato. feel like i've seen it before probably because i'm like um what am so i guessing the actual critics or you are familiar with uh with the website rotten tomatoes yeah absolutely 
And on Rotten Tomatoes, they have the critic score and the audience score. Um, you are going to try to guess the audience score for 2002's Equilibrium. Um, you're going to give me a guess. I'm going to give you some hints, and then you're going to have an option to change your guess if you want to. So first, let's start with your guess. On a scale of 0 to 100, what do you think the audience rated Equilibrium? Um, somewhere in the 60s or 70s. 64. 64. Okay. I'm going to give you the critic score for this film. The critics rated this film 41. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So that's number one. I'm also going to give you three films that are within two points of this film. So plus or minus two points, same score as Equilibrium. Okay. We're going to do the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the first one. The Good, 2013's The Wolf of Wall Street, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. The good part, the utter debauchery that is this film. It is unrelenting, unpolygetic, and I love every single minute of it. Movie number two, The Bad, 2016's Deep Water Horizon, starring Mark Wahlberg. The bad part? that I have to live through another movie that forces me to listen to people defend Mark Wahlberg's acting. <laughs> Whom, you ask? Whom? Oh, man. The third film, The Ugly, 2013's Don John, starring Joseph Gordon-Lovett. The ugly part? Listen, everyone makes bad movies, but when you watch this, and then you find out that it was his passion project and directorial debut. Ouch. That was ugly. So those are your three film hints. Matt, you said 64. Do you want to change your guess? I Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't know. I Man, Wolf of Wall Street. And then the other two are just horrible. Uh, yeah, I'll stick with it. Okay, you said 64. The correct answer is... <laughs> That's like a bad call. one. Damn it. Okay. That's not bad. 81's good. Critics gave it a 41, but audience, 81. Yeah. No, I figured it didn't have quite the following, but 81's pretty good. I mean, 81's pretty good. Yeah. Well, listen, Matt, it was a bit of pleasure talking about Equilibrium. Before I let you go, it's a firm belief of the owners of Don't Forget a Towel that everybody geeks out on something. While it may not be movies and comic books, maybe it's futuristic shooting your partners and not taking your medicine. So I've got to ask you, Matt, what is it that you're geeking out on right now? I got nothing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not even close what, uh, what are your hobbies what do you like to do for fun oh man um, how is the marine corps ball you lucky <laughs> sob yeah 246 years that's what i was going to say actually uh i've been reading i don't know if it's just because i'm finally getting old and appreciating the organization i've given 17 years to uh I'll, but i've probably been, not been that. reading well especially um man yeah i yeah i'm geeking out over uh military heritage in hawaii specifically units uh based out of here just because oh that's gotta uh, be yeah you gotta be able to see some great museums and history down there man that's gotta be great have you gone to any of this stuff no we haven't we haven't been well i mean i say that like my building my regimental headquarters building is uh was built in 1952 wow uh yeah still standing it's uh the first installation map produced of kaneohe bay uh has our regimental headquarters building on it um you know, not many other buildings, right? But some of the initial uh, uh, hangars and that were on this side of the island post Pearl Harbor, right? Because they had to kind of disaggregate and dislocate mm-hmm. some of our uh, aerial platforms after that uh, those catastrophic events. Uh, yeah. So, so I mean, I just yeah, I, I've been geeking out a lot more over that. It's kind of easy to come by the knowledge. There's a there's actually like a, yeah, it's over by the general's housing on our base. Um, they have 
a plane that crashed during Pearl Harbor, uh, one of the Japanese planes, and they left a wow. wreckage. Yeah, so it's uh, you know it's kind of got like a roped off area, uh, but pretty uh, again just being out here and uh, never really been a huge historian by any means, but uh, you know seeing that stuff and then you know hearing about some of the things as far as uh, you know people that were buried and exhuming bodies because of the island itself and the the tribal affiliation um, as well as like uh, it's just it's a huge uh, kind of a historic, this island serves as a historical landmark for not only our military, but, you know, obviously our country. So pretty impressive stuff. Well, thank you so much for your service, Matt. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Uh, happy birthday. Happy Veterans Day. Although at this point, uh, the listeners are probably, you know, this is going to be two or three months from now. But but thank you anyway. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Uh, any any last uh, last minute comments before we sign off? No, man. Uh, as always, appreciate it. Thank you for allowing, facilitating my schedule. I know we bounced around a good bit, but uh, I loved loved the opportunity, and I didn't want to want to let it pass me by. So I appreciate it. Hopefully, You're welcome anytime, man. I appreciate you. Hopefully, your listeners can stand my uh, my drawing on voice and uh, <laughs> delivery, and and give Equilibrium a shot. Check it out, folks. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Bye, Bobby.